when you as a coach or, or your athletes understand why you do something, I guess this is bringing it back to Simon Sinek, um, and then uh, your parent, the parents as well, uh, understand why you're doing something and, and they believe in, uh, I guess it's a, it's a leadership thing of um, if they think that you'd go the extra mile for them, they're more likely do it, to do it for you. Um, then you're going to get a better relationship with your athlete, with your parents, um, and you're going to get the most out of what you're doing as well um, because you understand why you're doing something uh, yourself. Uh, I think that's, I guess, where I bring myself back to and, and sometimes have to remind myself of, of that's what I'm doing as well. Why am I doing it? Because of this. And then I've, I'm on the, on the right track. Welcome to Swim.Rocks, the show that shares ideas, information and inspiration between swimming people who stay dry. I'm your host, Ben Ramston, and this week we're talking to Cameron Gledhill about the role of psychology in driving high performance in swimming. Now, I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. It's uh, one of our longer ones, but we covered a lot of really interesting ground, um, including things like why swimmers often swim faster during relays than during individual events, why some raise their game during finals, whereas others crumble, how to create a learning and development culture to enhance performance, and just things like how to structure the season to uh, ensure that um, you develop across the season and uh, bring it all together at the key events. Now, I wanted to speak to uh, to Cam because uh, he's coach of Abbotsley Swim Club, but also he's been head coach of Canberra International Sports and Aquatic Centre. He's been head coach of Ginindera Swim Club and coach of the Great Falls Swim and Tennis Club in the USA. So that's in the coaching side. He's also been a sales consultant in the health and fitness industry. He's been in the Australian Army for a couple of years as an officer cadet and at the same time was at the University of New South Wales studying military leadership and strategic management. And uh, I guess the reason I was really keen to talk to him is he has a Bachelor of Applied Science and Clinical Psychology from Virginia Tech in the USA and from the University of Canberra, a Bachelor of Science in Psychology combined with a Bachelor of Sports Coaching and Exercise Science in Psychology. So he's got <laughs> he's got quite a lot of experience, uh, which is uh, why I was keen to talk to him. And as he explained, he is inspired to coach by the opportunity to positively influence people. I really think that it's uh, something that allows you to have an influence influence on a great number of people. Um, I know that some of the people that have most that most shaped me as I was growing up were the coaches that I had along the way, um, and. The, more so the life skills that you get out of um, a, a sport, especially that's um, high demand and early specialization and uh, the time management that, and work ethic that you need to get out of it. Um, you know, you're, really, you're really shaping 
humans, I guess. Shaping humans. Well, wow, that's a uh, that's a pretty uh, that's a pretty impressive ambition. Um, before we before we press record, we were just talking about music choices, and um, there's a there's a famous Pink Floyd album called Dark Side of the Moon, uh, and there's a track on it called Breathe, and there's a wonderful lyric: "All you touch and all you see is all your life will ever be," um, which basically is saying you are the sum of your experiences, and you've had a massive range of experiences so far in your career. I think your your parent, your dad, used to swim. What's been the impact of having a parent that swims? Um, it was. It, it's been varied, really. Um, I, I know uh, early on, uh, it's very helpful having a parent that has uh, quite a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the sport in general. Um, uh, particularly when I got a little bit older as a swimmer. Um, it was maybe a little bit more difficult. Um, uh, I wanted him to butt out a little bit more. Um, but the uh, realisation later on that everything with the best intentions and, and, and a lot of the feedback and a lot of the support um, was very beneficial along the way. Um, but uh, I think uh, my dad particularly did a very good job at then finding the balance between leaving it to the coach, but also uh, those little bits of tidbits of knowledge that he had from his experiences, he could uh, help out and give little bits of advice that uh, I know I utilised up until the last races I ever had when I was competing properly. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a good balance. Um, sometimes. Uh, it's a difficult situation when, for a parent particularly that does have a lot of knowledge to be able to step back um, and, and let the coach do their thing and let the swimmer do their thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, some really positive stuff, some challenges, um, uh, but uh, it was handy altogether. It's interesting. You obviously coach a lot of kids these days, um, some of whom have parents that, have swum others that don't i guess the majority haven't can you can you see any difference between those kids or is it is it irrelevant um oh look there, there is differences um uh, some uh some positive some negative um now you get uh, uh a swimmer that has a parent that doesn't swim and your job is around educating them as to the swimming world and, and what's involved and the way things run and, and um, so that they can best support their, their kid. Um, and then uh, your role with a, um, an athlete that has a parent that has been a swimmer um, uh, about um, allowing them to, to have their, their input in, in terms of um, the journey that the swim is on, but also for them to take a moment to step back and be a cheerleader, their experience, uh, their, sorry, their, their uh, child's experience is not going to be the same as theirs. Um, and sometimes that gets missed a little bit. Um, but those parents that are able to, to walk that line um, and, and, allow their kid to, to grow and have their own experiences. It's not a cookie cutter of, of what they had. 
um, they're often the ones that thrive. Fascinating. Now, you've spent at least a couple of years in the military. How's that impacted your coaching? Um, I think the, I guess the biggest um, area was getting to know myself. Um, you get really put through your paces when uh, you get put into very tough situations and you learn a lot about yourself. So uh, when you might have not really had anything to eat in three or four days and you haven't really slept, you, you learn how you react under fatigue, under stress, when you're hungry um, and you find your own limits. Um, I think that's beneficial in terms of um, uh, how I interact with people and even if I might be tired and not had much sleep, it's about self-management um, but also recognising when other people might be in those uh although maybe lesser um, sort of situations where uh, they're under a lot of stress from schoolwork or um, they didn't get quite enough sleep last night and managing your interactions with them. So you can still get some positive stuff out of it, but not overworking them and not uh, overburdening them with, with stuff that you really don't need to, or they might not be equipped to handle yet. Um, that, and, and really, um, the other major part would be uh, around leadership. So a lot of the, the, the training that we did was, was based around leadership. And you find uh, what you think is a, a good leader and, and you, you definitely experience some not so good leaders along the way. Um, and the sort of person that you'd want to work for and you'd want to put in the extra time for um, even when the situation might be tough, um, allowing a bit of leeway here and there and, and there's time for fun, but then when work needs to be done, your head needs to be put down and, and, and get into it. Um, I'd rather work for someone who um, is able to find that balance between the two than someone who's just going to tell me to go up and down. Um, and, and then I try to include that in what I do as a coach, I guess. I think we might revisit some of those themes when we get into um, into psychology. But before we move off the subject of, of life experience, you've spent quite a while in the USA, both studying and um, in the sports arena. What's that taught you uh, now you're back in Australia? How do you include that in your repertoire? <laughs> um, it's, it's very interesting to see... Uh, the difference in, and I would say largely in, in the idea of team culture. Um, in in the US, you're um, you're on a team first uh, a lot of the time, um, which is something that uh, we try to bring in every day. And and uh, how uh, an athlete is is one part of of a much greater thing. Um, I know swimming on a college team, um, I mean, I, I, I got up at national championships and in finals and, and, and things like that, but probably <laughs> the most excited for a race I ever was was at a random dual meet, um, my first one for my college team swimming on a relay. Um, and you realise how much support you have around you when you've got 
30 other teammates standing on the side of the pool going absolutely crazy for you to swim fast and it takes you to another level. Um, and bringing that into an Australian culture uh, is a little bit different. And um, the more we see of it, the, the higher the standard of results that, you, that, that I feel we see. Um, and it's about trying to capture that, um, but without changing the positive stuff that we do have here and, and uh, allowing individuals to be themselves within that team environment. It's interesting. We were speaking recently to Adam Beisler uh, from Novocastrian, who's uh, running a swim league and um, here in Australia, here in New South Wales. And he's been trying to inject some of the sort of team culture into uh, the competitions that he's designing. So it's, it's interesting that, that, that you raise a, uh, a similar point. Yeah, it's, um, it's very interesting what Adam's doing. And um, I think that uh, if we can get things like that to, to become uh, more mainstream and, and um, teach kids to, to, to race to get their hand on the wall rather than chase that qualifying time that they feel that they need, um, we're going to get a lot more enjoyment out of the sport, which at the end of the day is, is what we're doing it for too. Can you just unpack that statement a bit more for us? You said uh, teach them to get their hand in the wall rather than chase a qualifying time. For, for those that are not intimately involved with swimming, can you just explain what, what you mean by that and what's behind it? Um, so a lot of the year um, at the moment and the attitude that, that a lot of um, athletes and parents have is chasing a qualifying time. So there'll be a particular time, whether it's Metro, State, Nationals, um, and so much of their swimming is how do, what do I need to do to get this time to make Nationals, for example. Um, and when the focus is on that rather than the process, it's... Um, Sometimes, sometimes you see people falling short because they're just searching for this time. Um, often when we get the most out of athletes is when they're engaged in the competition around them. Now, they've got their process to follow and, and the things that they need to do in their race, but um, just a bit of hunger to get their hand on the wall before the person next to them can often make that 0.1, 0.2 difference and they might get the qualifying time, even though their thoughts weren't around that. Their thoughts were around the race that they were in at the time. Uh, okay, we're, we're getting into the psychology now, which is just where we want to go. This, this is fantastic. So are you saying that one of them, in the chasing a time, essentially they're competing against themselves, whereas getting their hand on the wall, it's competing against others? Is, is, that, is that the core of what you're talking about there? Um, oh, look, now... You, you don't want them to um, uh, solely <laughs> compete against others in terms of um, the way they look at their swimming because that can take them down a path of constantly just comparing themselves to someone who might be faster or might be different or whatever that is. And that's, that's not ideal. But um, when you're 
attach, say, points to a race and um, the end goal is you're getting your hand to the wall to try to get a win or, or it might even be to get second over third um, and those points are going towards your team, you're doing something for, for I guess, a, a greater cause than just this individual time that you may or may not get. Um, it, it's taking away that individual comparison and um, even if you get second or you get third, uh, you're still getting points for your team and that's your contribution. And you'd rather get second than you would third uh, or you'd rather get first, obviously, um, uh, because that gets you more points for your team, not necessarily uh, that particular time that you were searching for. Okay. Sorry, this I risk staying off piste a bit here, but it's a it's a fascinating subject. I, I know many parents up in the stands looking down are willing their child to post a good time, possibly even a PB, and there can be a bit of lack of energy if they leave without having achieving that. And obviously for young kids, they PB quite a lot. For older kids, they, they PB hardly at all. Um, but I know you and your colleagues often talk about it's not it's not whether they get a PB or not; it's what they learn through the experience. C- can you can you just explain that a bit more for those for those parents listening who uh, who sometimes get demotivated by lack of progress on the stopwatch? Yeah, oh, and um, I think it largely uh, <laughs> it's a a better understanding of the point in the season that you're at. Um, now, this is something that I. I'm always trying to do more and more and it's educating the swimmers because um, when they understand where they're at with their training or what they understand why they're doing something, uh, it, it allows them to um, see a result in a different light. Now, early season when you might be working um, aerobically, a larger aerobic volume or you might be looking to make a particular skill change or whatever it is, um, a, a PB is not necessarily the time that comes up. It's the fact that in that 200 free, you did four kicks off the wall every time and didn't breathe first stroke for the first time. And if that then carries over to what you're doing later in the season or, or as you move further through the season, the PB might be the fastest uh, last 50 that you've ever done, right? Not the total time, the fastest last 50. And then it's only when you come down to the back end of your season um, and you're coming to, whether it's a state championships, whether it's a nationals, right, that you're putting together those skills that you PB'd in at the start of the season. You're putting together um, those race plans or that back end that you did in the middle of the season and then you add your front end and your speed to it because that's your your focus as you get closer to your major meet that 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 pb will come through right you you're pbing in other things along that way that allow you to create a better performance not just on the scoreboard um with your total time but you're swimming the race better and setting yourself up for success not just this season, but in following seasons as you as you progress and as you grow. Fantastic. Thank you. Well, I'd like to move on to really 
get to the heart of psychology and athlete performance and coaching, which I, I realise is a massive subject and one we could speak all afternoon about and still not nail. So uh, let's be be realistic, but perhaps let's just start off in a in a in a basic end of things and perhaps something we've touched on already. But why is it that swimmers often swim faster during relays than during individual events? Um. Oh, there's there's a number of factors in it, um, but you find well, I I know from my personal experience, um, the and and each person person is different. Um, uh, you get some people that will swim faster on relays because they want to do it for the team, and uh, they take away that uh, I guess individual connection and, and realize that they're doing doing it for something bigger um quite naturally most people don't want to let their teammates or don't want to let their friends down um so we'll find that extra level um often you see some of the hardest swimming into the wall will happen when they know they've got to finish really strong for that person who's about to do a relay change off them um and when they're doing it for themselves, they, then their thought is around maybe how much this hurts rather than uh, put that to the, to the side, I need to do this for my friend. Um, so it's um, the realisation that you're doing something for uh, someone or a, a thing that is greater than you as an individual. And is that something that can be trained or is it just an inherent trait? Um, it, it's different for each person, but the more it's impressed upon, um, through everyday talk and, and, um, interaction as well as just team atmosphere and, and bonding. Um, I mean, if you, if you don't like the people that are on the, the relay with you, then, well, you're not going to get that out of them. Um, but if you, if you're doing it for, um, a person that you want their success as much as you want your own, then uh, you're going to get more. So um, you you develop a, a team atmosphere, a, a team camaraderie, and um, you're more likely to to see that come out or those big performances. Um, I think uh, I'm I'm a big fan of a um, a writer called Simon Sinek. I don't know whether you've uh, heard of him. He, he wrote a book called Start With Why. Start With Why, yes. But I actually read his, his second book first called Leaders Eat Last. Um, I guess this is tying our psychology and, and military background stuff together. But um, he went around and, and interviewed um, uh, a whole bunch of Medal of Honor winners over in the U.S. And, um, I mean, people doing absolutely what would be perceived to be crazy things um, to help out their um, other infantry soldiers or whatever it was in those situations. And he asked them why they did it. And consistently the answer back was, well, they'd do it for me. Um, to, to someone not finding themselves in those tough and stressful situations, um, the idea is, you sure they'd do it for you? But that's the understanding that um, someone will go to another level um, in order to help those around them 
um, sometimes to absolute extremes, um, if that camaraderie is there, if that shared hardship is there, which is something that athletes often experience when they're going through a grueling camp week, for example, and they come. One of the one of the intangibles that comes out of it is well, they've had a shared experience of they've been tired and gone having to get up and do their seventh session of the week and still perform, right? But they're doing it together, which later on down the track, they're on a relay together. There's there's that extra camaraderie, there's that extra mateship that allows them to um, find, find another level that they might not necessarily do for themselves. Let's explore another example. Um, for finals, some swimmers raise their game, whereas others crumble. Why is this, and what would you do about it? Um, now, uh, I think this is largely – well, there's, there's the experience factor um, of whether they've been there and, and done heats and finals before. Now, um, for – uh, a number of swimmers that might be going to have their first experience of this at state championships later this year, um, that's a tougher one to set up. Um, but it's also about uh, an athlete being provided with the opportunity to back up and challenge themselves again uh, in a training environment and under stress and under pressure. Um, when it hasn't been experienced before, um, it, it's a it's a coin flip to see which direction someone will go. Um, whereas if they get given um, the tools to deal with uh, the extra pressure or the um, having to go home, have a nap, go through their processes, and then come back ready to perform, even even if they might be a little bit more tired, right? Being able to step up and go, no, I'm here to do a job. This is how I'm going to do it, right? Go through their process and, and bring that performance out. Um, so, uh, yeah, really about having those physical and mental tools um, to be able to, to bring out that second performance and, and perform better again. Now, so far we've been talking about competitions but but swimming swimming has two dynamics to it there's sort of race day and then there's the weeks and months of training leading up to to race day and you hear about these swimmers that 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 just love the training but are not so hot racing and are those that really live for racing and sometimes are not quite so so good on on the training side there's almost like two different completely different time horizons here how, how do you work to get the motivation, uh, the long-term motivation to work in sync with the short-term, I've got a massive event coming up in sort of 15 minutes? Um, well, it's different people, obviously, like you said, in, enjoy different aspects of the sport. Um, and um, it's about working, even though you might have a group of 25, 30 swimmers, working with them individually as well um, and developing an understanding of where you can get the most out of them depending on it might be um, uh, how you spoke, speak to them to develop 
uh, intrinsic motivation within different areas that they might not always um, find motivation. Um, uh, and you look at um, uh, allowing them to, uh, it might be a particular set and you might progress it and you allow them, and this might be a, a person that might enjoy racing a little bit more. Um, you, you repeat a set, you progress it, and you allow them to see their own progression. Sometimes they don't notice it and you have to point it out to them, right? But when they see that progression and they see that they're growing and changing and getting better, um, it, it's it's motivating. It's, it allows them to um, sort of say to themselves, oh, I'm actually doing something pretty good here. Um, but when you, I guess you, you chop and change and you're doing different things and you, and, and athletes aren't able to see that progression in a training environment, um, it makes it, uh, hard to stay motivated in it. Um, then those that, uh, really enjoy training and maybe, uh, not so much with, <laughs> with turning up on race day, um, I think that comes back to, a level of confidence as well. Now, across however many years I've been coaching now, it's um, you always run into athletes that turn up on race day and um, confidence is on the floor. Um, so it's about knowing that that, uh, that person reacts that way to the extra pressure or whether it's my parents are here watching or whatever it is. Um, and um, bringing them back to how well they have done in training, how really what they're doing on race day is uh, the easy part compared to what they've done day in, day out, swimming up and down the pool, um, doing amazing things, um, bringing them back to how good they actually are at what they're doing. Um, they put in a lot of work, they do some fantastic stuff, and sometimes they... They they miss it uh, that they're actually pretty good at this. Fascinating. So let me ask you a really open question then. How do you use psychology in your coaching repertoire? Um, it's I guess it I, I look at it as um, as two different things. It um, as I mentioned before, it's about providing athletes with tools to um better perform so i mean it's like if you're going to go build a house and all you've got is some wood some nails and a hammer you're going to have a pretty average house but if you've got the full repertoire of things to to deal with and um you've got a team helping you then then you're going to be able to put something better together um and it can be anything like relaxation techniques and anxiety management and uh, managing their, their arousal levels. Um, uh, something that uh, I've previously done a fair bit of and I'm sort of slowly introducing to the younger group that I've got at the moment is, uh, is imagery and um, uh, visualization stuff. Um, uh, as simple as goal setting really um, makes, a, makes a big difference. So you're providing them with these tools. Um, and then the other, I guess the other aspect of it is your interaction with an athlete. Um, 
Now, something that I think probably probably a lot of coaches do naturally without realizing it is something called scheduling of reinforcement. Um, and it's, uh, there's, I mean, there's um, a whole different ways of doing it. And every time someone does something good, telling them that it was good or um, uh, which is um, fixed ratio, for example, um, I, I actually did a study at uni on poker machines and why they're so addictive and their scheduling of reinforcement is actually uh, called random ratio. So you know that um, if you press the button one more time, then um, you, you could be a winner on the next time, right? But you know it's got to happen sometime in the next um, 100 spins, right? But you don't know when it's coming. Could be the next one, could be the 99. Um, and you, you can use that to uh, develop intrinsic motivation within your athletes. Athletes thrive on on uh, positive feedback, um, and they might not get it every single time that they do something well. But uh, when you do give that positive feedback, it means so much more. If it's, uh, I, I guess it's it's scheduled to uh, be a little bit more random, and and it's not going to happen every time. But when they do receive it. Um, uh, it's a it's a real boost, and that's that intrinsic motivation rather than uh, an external reward. Um, you get a um, five dollars for every PV you get actually ends up diminishing motivation down the track for for an athlete. Um, <laughs> if that reward doesn't get bigger and bigger every time, a parent might end up having to give their kid an iPhone every time they did a PV, and that's not sustainable. Um, <laughs> Give your kid an iPhone every time they do a PB. That sounds an expensive swimming career. Yeah, well, but that's but that's it. So I mean, and and you see it uh, in um, swimmers all the time, and they come back and tell you like, oh, I got five PBs today, so my mum's giving me twenty five dollars. Well, what what that's actually doing is, well, next time. Um, they're only swimming for that $25 or that $5 per swim. Um, and if that monetary value doesn't increase each time, then motivation actually decreases. And you, you see those kids fall away from wanting to even race because uh, the intrinsic motivation of, hey, I bettered myself, right? I did something really well um, and just feeling good for doing something well um, is not there. They're chasing something different. A couple of um, episodes back, we were talking to Amanda Isaac and about the fixed and growth mindset from um, from Carol Dweck. And I think what you've just described for us there is 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 exactly that. If if for those that have a fixed mindset, they'd often been brought up just based on results, just based on success. Um, but for those with a growth mindset, it's all about effort and learning and challenging yourself. And um, the scientific evidence is that it's the growth mindset that uh, actually sets people up for long-term success, not the fixed mindset. Yeah, and and um, and with that uh, approach to failure, um, <laughs> you you look at um, uh, you, you can you can reframe something with an athlete, and if they if they try something new and they fail at it, um, applauding them for that failure 
which seems um, potentially counterintuitive, but you, um, what you're really applauding, applauding is their effort to make a change or effort to try something new. Yeah, it didn't work this time, but what you've actually done is found out a way, all right, so um, uh, that's not how to do that thing. And they've received a, a praise for, for trying something, they're more likely to try something new the next time as well, rather than shy away from it. Um, if you're looking at growth mindset, um, uh, if you have a fixed mindset, you shy away from that failure because you can't do it that way. Um, which, uh, if you did that every time, then you'd have a lot of people that would not be doing things that they're doing today. Now, Cam, you're clearly an expert in your field, which is why it's been so good to talk to you today. Um, there's a number of coaches that, that listen to the show, um, some of whom may not be quite as expert in this dimension of coaching as perhaps you are. What advice would you give to people who are keen to, to develop further in this, uh, in this dimension? Um, I think for me, it's, it's always about, um, educating yourself. Um, I know that, uh, I guess I view myself as someone that that's always trying to seek more knowledge. Um, and the more that you know, and the more that you interact with other people, uh, the, the more you're going to learn, you ask, ask questions and, and, um, uh, more, more often than not, and this is something that I guess I, I experienced because uh, when I was at Ginandera, I took over as head coach at 23, um, and I was kind of flying by the seat of my pants, but um, you, you ask questions of uh, more experienced coaches out there or, or more educated coaches or uh, someone who you know, may have had a particular experience on a camp and ask how that was and ask what they learned. Um, people are, are more than happy to talk about themselves and their own experience. And through that, you can learn. Um, it'd be very easy um, for you to sit in your own bubble and do your own thing. Um, but that's not where uh, growth happens. Uh, you gain more knowledge by by asking questions. If you don't ask, the answer is always no. Clearly, talking to people and listening is a is a massive part of of your learning experience. You also mentioned the book Simon Sinek's Leaders Eat Last. Are there any other resources out there that you could point people towards? Um, in terms of in terms of, I think uh, um, uh, a coach as a coach. Um, Oh well, really, as as um, anyone in their daily life, in particular, but um, it's a book called High Performance Habits um, by a guy called Brendan Bouchard. Uh, now he was a high performance coach in really, really in the corporate world, but um, he spent about fifteen years um, taking a whole lot of ideas and and self help books that. Are really based on, uh, on, in my experience, X. Um, but he scientifically tested a whole bunch of things, um, and and came up with, I guess, a, a list of, of high performance habits and and how people 
high performance uh, in any walk of life, how they do so, whether it's effectively transitioning from from one activity to the next um, uh, to maintain energy levels throughout a day and, and things like that. Um, but it's it's uh, big in terms of your ability to get so much more done. Well, Cam, at the beginning of this conversation, we were talking about Pink Floyd and basically you are the sum of your experiences. And to me, that's the sort of summary of, of, of a lot of what you've just been saying is, is expand your experiences, expand your information base. Before we uh, close off with a, with a quick fire round of questions, is there anything else around the, the psychology of coaching and athlete performance you think we should be discussing? Um, no, look, I, I, I think that uh, when you as a coach or, or your athletes understand why you do something, I guess this is bringing it back to Simon Sinek, um, and then uh, your parent, the parents as well, uh, understand why you're doing something and, and they believe in, uh, I guess it's a, it's a leadership thing of um, if they think that you'd go the extra mile for them, they're more likely do it, to do it for you. Um, then you're going to get a better relationship with your athlete, with your parents, um, and you're going to get the most out of what you're doing as well um, because you understand why you're doing something uh, yourself. Uh, I think that's, I guess, where I bring myself back to and, and sometimes have to remind myself of, of that's what I'm doing as well. Why am I doing it? Because of this, and then I'm on the, on the right track. What a lovely way of closing off. Cam, you've been talking to us for 40 minutes. You must be exhausted with all of this. But have you got some energy for our closing quick fire round of questions? Yeah, sure. Okay. Question one. What's been the most useful piece of advice or equipment that you've had during your swimming and coaching career? Um, I guess probably piece of advice would um, be not not to pigeonhole yourself. I know as a, an athlete, um, thought I was a backstroker. Turns out that ended up being my worst stroke. And then I thought I was a breaststroker that could swim a bit of IM and then probably had more success in a 200, 400 free than anything. Um, and I guess the same thing as a, as a coach. Um, uh, you, you think, oh, I'm, I'm this sort of coach. Well, there's no reason why you can't broaden your horizons and um, – as I said, giving the kids more tools, give yourself more tools to make yourself um, uh, more adept at a greater range of things. Question two, if you were to officiate at a Swimming New South Wales meet, the lucky door prize is a box of chocolates or a bottle of wine. Are you wine or chocolates? Uh, probably have to go wine. Which sort? Um, uh, fond of a, a, a good Shiraz. Very nice. Question three, what, if anything, would you do differently if you had your swimming and coaching career all over again? Um, oh, look, there's, there's a couple of things along the way which I think um, I, I sort of uh, second-guess myself occasionally, but at the end of the day, I am where I am with a broad range of experiences um, because of those decisions along the way. Um, and I think I, I would keep things the way they are, even though potentially at the time I may have gone, oh, I wish I'd done something different. Um, down the track, I'm, I'm better for it. 
and I've got more knowledge and I'm able to approach situations um, uh, with those experiences behind me. Sounds like the wisdom of history, yes. What's been? What's your 50 metres freestyle personal best time? Ooh, um, I think the first, fastest I ever went was uh, 20, 23.1 or 2, um, maybe a bit quicker on a relay. Um, but uh, I think... I think most recently I went at 24.2 about this time last year. So um, not quite where I've previously been, but, yeah, doing all right. That's pretty fast. <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> and what's been your most exciting swimming moment? Ooh. Um, I guess oh, it's hard to pick between just two. Um as a uh, as a swimmer, um, when I was 17, 18, our our team actually won the. I was over in the US. Um, uh, won the national championship, um, and just me and another guy who were captains being presented with the the, the banner was um, a pretty amazing experience. I guess as a as a coach, um, which really wasn't that many years later, um, the first um, first age national medal that any of my swimmers got, uh, I do remember it was up in Brisbane and we we had the, the whole team out for a pretty big night of finals. And um, just the realisation of how excited, even though I'm there on the side, the amount of investment that you've got in athletes and how excited you get for their success. I think it was uh, athlete got up and got a bronze medal, um, but uh, just how exciting that can be, even though you're excited for their success. Cameron Gledhill, thank you very much indeed. No worries. Thanks, Ben.